This is Karen with NucleomRadio.net, and it is time for Avoid the Maze. And we are doing Avoid the Maze today for a company in New York, EMPKTPR. Do a lot of interviews for them. I've met a lot of very talented people. And I'll tell you, it is exciting because uh, my music library is just immense now. Um, I can now take pride in telling my brother I can listen to as much music as he does. And he's a music producer. So there you go. Um, our guest today is Ellen Wallace Wallachin. Mm-hmm. I said it right. Good. And um, Ellen, as I told you before we went live, I was listening to your newest album. And the first song I actually listened to all the way through. And there was something about your voice. I was trying to figure it out rather than listen to the music, which I, I shouldn't do, but I do. Um, and then I clicked on the next one and I started listening to bits and pieces. It was, I know why I'm listening to the voice. It is so unique. I mean, your quality. So tell us, how did you develop into this entertainment field, which is not an easy place to, to rest your no. head at night. <laughs> Believe me, my parent, my parents and my father is uh, in, quote, the business and hoped I would probably do something else, you know, <laughs> but at the same time, encouraged me. So I kind of got the double message, do it, but don't do it, um, especially when I was younger. So my my dad was um, in advertising and he went from advertising, became a jingle producer in the days in the height of the of the commercial business. So, you know, that's kind of what I knew. So when I remember when I was 10 years old, I said, can I sing commercials? Cause I knew kids were singing commercials and he's like, go, you know, go to your room basically. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, so, you know, when I got to be like around 19, you know, I was in college and um, one of the biggest campaigns he had was McDonald's and, um, you deserve a break today. And, um, you know, it was a very small knit group who sang commercials and made all this money. And they had basically heard every voice at that point in the, in the click of 30 people. So <laughs> I sang demo and, um, uh, and didn't think much of it, went back to St. Louis where I was going to college and, you know, and basically, you know, I followed that path because that's what I knew. Um, cause my dad was in the business and it was a double-edged sword because, you know, I'm the producer's daughter, but, you know, uh, it, but that was, I probably would not have followed that path if I had not had a, a father in that business, because that sure. was my connection to music. Um, but first I was a classical pianist, that that was what I did most of until I was like 17, when I started 16, 17, I started singing. Um, my father was a violinist originally who turned into an ad man. So, but that's what I knew. So that's what I, it was definitely a way to pursue music um, and to, um, you know, get professional skills, which I got a lot of, you know, so I got a lot of grief too, because it was hard. I didn't like being, you know, it was hard because I think some of his competitors maybe were, you know, a little reticent to hire me. So it was, you know, it, it it's like everyone thinks, oh, it's great. Your dad's in the business. It, it's mixed. It's both. So that was my start. You know, and I've talked to a number of people very similar to, to your background where uh, their parent um, or somebody very close in their family was involved in the industry 
Um, and they came along and they said, well, hey, you know, I have an interest. And usually it's, hey, this was a crazy thing for me to do, go in a different direction. Um, but, you know, if it's something that you really love to do or think you would love to do, I think it's wonderful when you have that opportunity to go out and try it. And I wish everybody would, you know, take that leap of faith. It doesn't have to be that, hey, you're going to be singing all the jingles uh, on the radio for the rest of your life, or you're going to be a, a Broadway star. But what it means is that you get to fulfill something for yourself by experimenting. And it sounds like you, in some ways you had to do that because you know, people were looking at you, expecting you to be one way, and maybe that's not the way you wanted them to hear you. Well, you know, one thing my father did say to me, uh, he goes, don't make this an end, make it a means. So he had like the foresight to, even though he was getting a lot of success at this point with this business, he was seeing a bigger picture. And, you know, for me, the turning point was, um, I also wound up teaching a workshop in Jingles, um, which was also very helpful. I got a lot of confidence from that. I actually liked teaching a lot. And um, and one of my quote students was a really good songwriter. So we became a songwriting team and a performing duo for a lot of good many years. And that's where I started getting performing experience. And I started, I had done some, I had done some songwriting while I was doing jingles, but um, this was really the beginning of getting out there. And, and honing these skills. I didn't have those performing skills at all because I was I had recording skills, which they're both important. Right. But um, I kind of did it sort of backwards, I guess. A lot of people wind up in the studio after they've tried to launch other careers. So. So it's, it's not an easy career, no. as we've already talked about. In fact, you know, it's interesting. I have um, two sons. One is an attorney and uh, his love of music, he has turned into an entertainment attorney mm -hmm. on the weekends. Mm -hmm. So he has his corporate job and he has his love uh, so that he's around the music and around all the festivals. I have a younger son who's torn between music and performance and sports. And he's working in the sports industry, but whenever he has that opportunity to perform, he gets out and he performs. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important for all of us to understand that we have more than one interest, more mm -hmm. than one we can do. As you Definitely. pointed out, you love teaching. Was that something that you would have thought of, you know, that you were, would have wanted to do? No, because... Um... You know, I sort of uh, have high standards or maybe I, I remember when I was asked to teach this class, I thought, well, I'm not a teacher. I don't have any teaching skills. And really, it wasn't the teaching skills per se, although I think they're important because there are a lot of people that know their fields really well, but they don't make good teachers. You have to have incredible patience for other people, which I do for other people, not as much for myself, but for <laughs> other people. And um, it, it was really knowing the subject was the reason that I was asked to teach the class. And it was, you know, we had here in New York at this time, um, like the learning annex and these adult 
continuing kind of sure. classes where, you know, they weren't expensive and you don't get a, a degree or credit, but they're short lived and it gives people a taste of, you know, the industry that they're looking at. But no, I never thought, um, although sometimes I think about, you know, other careers, what would I have picked? You know, I just went through a jury trial where I was uh, on the jury, literally ended a week ago. And I thought, wow, you know, not that I didn't miss my calling. I just thought, wow, this would have been so interesting to be um, a trial attorney. I mean, there's 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 several things that would have been a forensic psychologist. I mean, that would have been, I'm a major in psychology. So, um, you know, so I do have a lot of other interests, but um, it's very hard to walk away from like, I don't want to say a talent. We, we have many talents or several talents, not just one, but I walked away from it once. I took a break for two years and did something else. And, you know, when I went back, I said, you know, this, this is it. I'm probably not going to turn away again. So, so I started young. I was, I started at 19. So at 20, the grand old age of 23, I took a break for two years. Well, and you know what? You probably needed that to reinforce this is what you wanted to do. Um, You know, in this podcast, Avoid the Maze, we talk about things like that, that, you know, we grow up thinking this is the path I want to take. And I'm going to follow this path no matter what. And we Mm -hmm. keep going down it and down it. And finally, one day we wake up and we go, there's got to be more. You know, I'm missing things along the way Mm because all I'm doing is taking one step in front of another. And when we take that opportunity, and sometimes we don't have the luxury of a year or two or more, but even if you take the luxury of a little bit of time each day to identify and look at things, it makes such a difference. And I'm sure made a difference when you went back into music. Definitely. Because now this is what you knew that you wanted to do. With just more life experience in a different field, I actually worked for Chase Manhattan Bank for two years. And um, it was like the Monopoly game comes to life. You know, <laughs> I was in a management training program. I mean, it was the farthest thing. I mean, even my own parents were like, what are you, you know, what are you doing? It's like, wait, you're giving me too many messages here. It's like, <laughs> it was a good thing for, for the short lived time. You know, I had another experience. I had a corporate experience. I wore a suit. You know, I know what what that was like, you know. So tell us about this new album that you've put together. Um, From what I gather, some of it is your original material and some of it is music from the songbook, uh, which, you know, I think is absolutely beautiful. So tell me how you made the decision of putting these songs all together. So, so basically since I've been performing, I've always sung standards. I've never, I've always been in favor of singing a great song. I don't care who wrote it. I mean, I just, as a singer, I just want to sing good songs. Um, Then there's the part, the business part where music businesses, do you write your own songs because the money's in the publishing and there's that whole pressure of, you know, uh, but then they, on the other hand, they're like, well, take a song, a famous song and make it, you know, but that's after you've already written all your own songs. And right. so it's, so from record one, so this is record three, I was doing covers. My second album was more original. Most of it was, because I thought I have to fulfill that need. I have to write all my own. So I had a writing partner. We did most, every song on that second album was um, original. However, 
the uh, review I got, there was one review I got on that second album, uh, a man in England who um, wrote a column called Art of the Torch Singer. And he gave me one of the, I would say the best review I ever got, not so much because he said nice things, but because I felt really understood. And and I thought, well, why is he writing about me as a torch singer? I'm, I didn't think of myself as a torch singer because I think of Billie Holiday, I think, you know, all these and then when he defined it, I realized, well, I guess I am because some he defined it as someone who sings about love and loss and what might have been. And I'm like, well, that sounds like me. Yeah. So this idea started brewing in my head years before I did this album of, well, I'm a pop singer. But as time moved on, I the definition of pop became like what we're hearing now on the radio and, you know, probably in the last decade, you know, when people say pop, they think of you know, Billie Eilish and Taylor Swift. And, but I really am a pop singer. So I had to redefine in my own mind what that meant. And um, so this thing popped in my head called Pop Torch. And I, I was doing more shows. Like there was a big gap where I was mostly just performing and trying to write new things. And I started calling the show Pop Torch where I always mix standards and well, and well-known songs with my own. That's something I always did. And then I thought, well, I'm going to, do an album like this and it's like it just kind of I let it organically develop and as the pandemic was beginning I was working on one of my originals I barely got going and then we were shut down and so I had time to you know let, let it continually brew and I and I really just I thought this is either going to work or this mashup or it's going to be a, a hot mess you know but um I think I think it all worked. I mean, these different decades, these different because hopefully the the glue was me, this being the same singer. Right. And that it had a sentiment or, you know, that's the thing about like when people release singles, I feel like you don't get to see the whole thread of the album. And this definitely had a concept. So I and I called it Pop Torch because it was in my head for like quite a while. So that's well, kind of what happened. What I loved about it is so many um <clears throat> so many streaming venues when i go to listen to music <clears throat> there is either too much sound in the background or the performer's voice is just not clear right and you can't and, understand the words either yeah and <laughs> it really bothers me especially lately when I've gone to uh, a live concert or a live um, off-Broadway show. Now I wear hearing aids mm -hmm. and I'll be sitting there and it's like, I hear the music, I see your mouth going, but I have no idea what the words are. And um, I had talked to my brother about this, who's a producer and I said, what is going on? He said, well, the people who are mixing the music, they're doing it for the younger crowd. The younger crowd doesn't really care what the words are. They want to hear all the sounds. And I said, but I want to hear the words. And that was the first thing I recognized when I was listening today. I can hear the words. I know what you're singing about. And yet I can hear all the tonality in it. And I can hear the music in the background. But I hear the words. What is you know, it? It's interesting because... The um, Gregory Taroyan, who uh, arranged most of the songs, he was my first accompanist back when I was like 27 or something. And we've, he's just, 
he what's so great about him first of all he's all about he's a great pianist and but the lyric it's all about the lyric and you know i even got pushed out of my comfort zone with with magic um which was a song by america and blue skies i mean greg it's all built around the lyric and the importance of it that and he does a lot of cab he basically does a lot of cabaret that's his main he works with singers primarily and um and it's interesting because I, you know, my grandfather used to yell at me all the time because he says that I was slurring my words. I don't speak with good diction, which I probably don't. My mother took elocution lessons. She has the most beautiful diction, but I sing with really great diction. I don't know why that is. <laughs> I really don't know, but I just the way I sing. But the thing is, I do notice, I mean, I also, um, I write for um, Music Connection magazine and I kind of fell into it and I've been doing it for like, God, 12 years now. And I go here, I've heard a lot of bands and a lot of times I have to refer to a CD and I have to keep playing it over on. What do they say? What? Cause I want to talk about the song. I'm like, what, what do they say? What do they say? <laughs> I can't tell what they're saying. And, and I have to keep playing it and hope that I, you know, I quoted it correctly, <laughs> you know? Well, it's, it's so. funny because at Christmas time, uh, we, my son was in town and we went to see Hamilton. Oh, and I loved it, but I could not understand the words at all. Wow. And um, he said to me, you were supposed to listen to the album first before you well, came here. And I said, <laughs> I said, typically I would go to the play first and then right. you would listen to the album. Right. Um, but I asked him why. And he basically said the same thing. He said, mom, it's not the words. I said. I sort of get what they're saying. He said, but what about the, the tones and the quality? I said, yeah, I could hear all that. Right. But I wanted to hear the story and the words. Um, and so he just sort of looked at me and goes, mom, not going to find it here. And I thought, you're right, because I've been noticing that more and more. Um, yeah. Which well, is good. Yeah. It's interesting because um, I got on a bunch of playlists lately and, uh, you know, somebody wrote me back there they they have this thing called groover where you they're required to answer you with some kind of either explanation why they didn't put you on the playlist or why they did put you on the playlist and i think these people were french so it was very broken english but what they conveyed was that they were kind of tired of the same of the same i don't know just sort of um they had a phrase for it where it's like it's mostly about the sounds and and they were talking about how the placement of the, the words in, in this one song, Keep Your Heart, which is the second song on the album, is the one that they were, that I was um, promoting and that they basically were saying, you know, that all the elements were working, I guess. You could hear the words, the the, the arrangements placed in such a way that this happens here, this, you know. And, um, but some of the criticism I've gotten when people didn't pick me for the playlist was, we don't hear modern sounds. It's like, but I'm not that person. Right. Not that person. And and that's always been a struggle for me. It's like my second album, Guy did a wonderful production job, different producer. But sometimes I feel like I still sing. You can still understand all the words, but I feel like the production, it wasn't upstaging me. It's just that it, the thing about this one, why this one is kind of, I'm going to say my favorite, but it's like saying this is my favorite child, but it's yeah. like, because it really is so crafted around the story that, you know, the nuances are all 
very, I feel like it's almost perfect to me. Like I always say they all outdid themselves, you know, yep. everyone who worked on it, you know, it was very carefully, you know, so um, it, it was a great experience. I mean, they're all, but you know, took a year at least. Well, they say anything that's worthwhile doesn't happen overnight. So that's okay. Sure. <laughs> So where are you performing mostly? Are you mostly performing in New York or? Well, most of, you know, uh, most of the times I, this is how I feel about performing in New York. You really only need one venue. So I mostly go down to the Lower East Side to review bands. And I'm pretty sure they're not, I mean, most of the people are pretty good performers. The songwriting is probably the weakest if I had to make a generalization, but they're pretty good performers, most of them. But they... I'm like, they can't be making any money here. And how many people are going to keep schlepping down to Lower East? I mean, not people that I that not I know. I just don't see it. So I feel if you have one venue, which I always like the triad, which is on 72nd, and it's more Upper West Side. Um, and um, and then mostly I went out of town, you know, um, because I really want new people to hear. Sure. The the material and I've done a lot of library concerts in the tri-state area because some of the libraries have really great programs um and you also know what you're going to get paid because they have budgets so it's not like well i paid the band and i went in the hole which a lot of people do you do that for so long and then you're like no no i'm i'm gonna i'm an adult now i can't right I can't keep doing that i have to pay people and pay myself so you know um so i but in the last few months though because i've been working so hard on promoting this and you know, getting stuff and redoing my website. So my, I don't have anything lined up. So I have to get back to that. You know, you can only do so many things at one time, it's, you know. Well, too many of us think that we can do everything all at no. once. Um, no. I have to admit, that's what I've been thinking for a while. Um, I had an accident about nine weeks ago and I'm still recovering from it. And I'm realizing Every day I have to look at my schedule mm -hmm. and I have to take something off of it because mm -hmm. I want it to look good. So my schedule's overbooked. And then I realize when I get up in the morning, no, I have to pick and choose. And so this morning, my husband said to me, why aren't you picking and choosing initially? He said, because he said, you're overwhelmed in the morning saying these are the things you can't do. And I said, you're right. I said, but you know, it's the way it was brought up. No, yeah. I know. I, I keep I, hoping. <laughs> no, I feel the same way. My mother, you know, my mother's incredible. My mother's going to be 92 in a few weeks. Mm -hmm. My mother still works full time. My mother plays golf. My mother drives. But she was always, even when I was growing up and she wasn't working for the time, most of them, you know, my brother got the advantage of her going to work when I went to college. <laughs> she has to be i she has to be this way you know and i think i also learned from her sometimes i'll i realize why are you you know putting so much pressure on yourself it's like like i'll go to the gym i'll say i'll go tomorrow i'll go the next day and the next day i'm like wait a second why you know you, you know that kind of thing where you know uh because i'm also a list maker so <laughs> it sounds like, familiar yeah but uh, it's true. Um, it's hard to, you have to learn to have compassion for yourself. It's hard, you know? Absolutely. And, you know, and we take a lot of those um, 
lessons that our parents laid on us and they thought they were giving us great lessons. Um, I remember right before my mother passed away, she said to me, um, are you a famous broadcaster? And I looked her straight in the eye and I said, I sure am, especially when I'm broadcasting from here. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure she quite got it that day, but mm -hmm. I realized that's how we have to feel about ourselves. We have to be at our best. And mm -hmm. if you can feel at your best, whether you're on you know, Broadway performing or in your favorite little pub, um, as long as you're doing what you love. Yeah, and I think the thing is when you're, I'm gonna say when you're younger, um, but probably more so when you're younger, I remember, you know, I used to think this was the end all be all, you know, that I really didn't really think that, but I was, I mean, my parents were very driven people, both of them, driven, driven, driven. You know, and um, so you learn to be driven, and uh, so I. It, but I realized, you know, as years go by, it's like, you know, it's interesting because my for the magazine, my my husband takes the photos, and that's not his profession. But you know, the budget they gave give me, you know, whatever is not right, not hiring Scavula. So it's like, um you know, he basically said, I'm a published photographer now, you know, and even though that's not his profession, it's something he liked to do and wanted to do and gets to do. And, um, you know, and, and I realized like, wow, I've gotten to do for, for whatever it's worth, what I wanted to do for most of my life. And, um, you know, I have to, there has, you know, unfortunately, because the culture we live in is so, it's so, I don't want to say money and success based. It's it's yep. it's really it's really screwed up because it, it in the end it's like it's really all icing on the cake. It's like you know, so you better focus on the cake because <laughs> that's really the the heart of it. And I've learned to do that much more over the years. And you know, whatever happens, I mean, I actually just submitted this album to the Grammys like two days ago. My engineer did, um, and you know, it's like. I said to him, well, I probably have a chance of winning mega millions before I win a Grammy, but you know oh. what, why not? Yeah. <laughs> I put it in the right category. It's definitely in the right, right category, but, you know, hey, just to and, be able to do it, you know? Well, and if you don't submit it, you don't right. have a chance. I, and I said to him, I said, Jonathan, are you, you know, you should submit your, as the engineer. Oh, I don't know, to be up against so-and-so. I said, so what? You're a really good engineer. Why wouldn't you, you know? So he did, luckily. <laughs> well, I know we've we have teased my brother over the years, you know. Um, so you got you submitted to for this award. So what did you hear back? And he goes, nothing. Okay. And then next time we'll hear, um, I've been nominated. Okay. You think you're gonna win? Oh no, it's gonna go to somebody else. The only way we have found out he has won any awards is when we visit his house. <laughs> he doesn't talk about them because he says he's worked on so many projects and some that are so much better than the ones he, he won an award oh, for. Oh, sure. So he said, you know what? I'm grateful that I won. That was great. But I can't stop holding that trophy because if I stop just holding it up, I'm not going to go anywhere. 
He says, well, it's okay, like, keep working. It's like when you play tennis, like you you hit a great shot. And if you admire the shot too long, you miss the next one. <laughs> so, I never thought of it that way. I've got to remember that one. Because I do that. I mean, I'm not a big tennis player, but when I do play and I'm like, oh, that was a really nice one. And then, you know, you, you don't have time to like stop and look at the shot. Right. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if uh, Serena Williams had done that, uh, if she would have won as many matches as she did. That was a fascinating, I've got to tell you, that movie was fascinating to see how her father pulled that off. Unbelievable. That was the most interesting part of the movie, how he was able to, it, it's almost like unbelievable, you know? So. Well, so tell us how we can find your your um, CD and um, what other music you might have out there, how we can follow you. Okay, so mostly I'm on probably every platform that people know, and the big ones, of course, Spotify. It's distributed throughout all the platforms. If you want to buy the CD, I don't know how many people have CD players anymore. I still do. <laughs> uh, I it, It's on my site, which is myname.com, ellenwallishin.com. I know people probably can't spell it just hearing well, it. Well, we'll make sure it's in the notes yeah. so they can... And yeah, so they can buy it in the store. I This is the first time I've actually have merch i never did merch but it's been stressed to me by my tiktok pr people that we need to have merch so i have products there i've tested them all i own them all so they're all you know and then i might i don't have vinyl yet i'm thinking about it but this which i find very hilarious because i grew up with records so it's like you know um vinyl okay but so for some reason people want to so that's maybe in the future but uh mostly on on my site or on spotify and all those itunes all the platforms and many i've never even heard of so okay yeah. well we'll make sure as much of that information is in the show notes um if you ever get to cleveland let me know because i would love to come and sit in the audience i would oh I, that would be great i would you know i've made it out of a Tri-State area to Nashville and to Scotland to perform. Okay. I, was guest, I was a guest artist in my friend show, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I would, you know, that, I, that would be great. I think my husband's made, well, you know, he's went, made it to Columbus on business, but uh, <laughs> I, um, I went to school in the Midwest. I went to school in, in Missouri. So, yeah. So you've, so, you've been around. You Yeah. Yeah. I've been through the Midwest, but um, I don't, don't find I've been to Columbus because you had to drive through Columbus to get to St. Louis, but um, but I don't think I've been to Cleveland. Don't well, think. Oh, I did. I I I applied to Oberlin. Oh, that okay. Was my, that was my dream school, which I didn't get in, and I'm not I'm upset. You know, in the long run, I think I went to where I should have gone. But um, yes, that was when I went to Cleveland. And that is not far from here at all. In yeah. fact, on a nice fall day, we usually will take a drive down there because it's yeah just pretty and um, just a nice getaway for a little yeah. bit. So, well, I want to thank you, Ellen, for joining us today. Um, yeah. I'm going to make sure that I have your music playing when my husband gets home because <laughs> I think he'll see a big smile on my face. And I think it's, it's about time. So is there any place I can see this show? Like uh, I will send the link to Beatrice. She will okay. have it and you can post it and share it with whoever you I, want. Absolutely. That it would be really great. And uh, it was really wonderful to meet you. And uh, I will definitely let you know if I can make it out to Cleveland. I appreciate it. Have okay. a great day now. Right, you too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.